that case. Hope not hates are basically controlling Britain. Hope not hate. An alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backward, these backward thinking, virtue, sick, virtue signaling, fake news crazy. Yeah. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hope Not Hate podcast. I am Matthew and I'm joined by my colleagues Joe. Hello. And Sophia. Hey. And this is the first time we've got together in a while. We've been uh, we've been spoiling our subscribers with long reads and interviews, but it's the first time we've got the gang back together. It's because everyone's been, you've been all been on holiday. I was about to say <laughs> I've been, but I haven't, but you've all been on oh, holiday. Oh, maybe we've all been mourning Martin. Martin has left. I'm uh, I'm Martin's replacement. Slip that in. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been on holiday. Um, but while I was on holiday, everyone in my family got ill except for me. So not the most relaxing time I've ever had. <laughs> Joe, do you hear anything nice? Um, I, I'm trying to move house, so I went home and saw my parents for a few days. So no. <laughs> but. No, I'm not. I'm not commenting. Not, not good. <laughs> okay, so not a great holiday for us all. We hope that you all have had a good holiday, and we're going to get right back into it with today's episode. We're going to uh, talk about UKIP and Tommy Robinson. We're going to talk about the political conference season, and we're going to talk about a new project that Hope Not Hate is launching in the coming days, uh, tracking anti-Muslim hatred. But Joe, spoiler, I think, spoiler! <laughs> if I, I, I ruined it for you, already, it's yeah. a big reveal. Please carry on listening. It's still interesting, even though I've, <laughs> I've broken the embargo. Um, Joe, why don't we start with uh, UKIP and uh, and Tommy Robinson? Because I think that has uh, potential to be a, a big story uh, running through the whole of the autumn and the winter. Yeah, sure. This this is one to watch. I feel like, actually, we haven't done one in ages, but every time we do do one, it is about Tommy Robinson. Um, so this guy's kind of unavoidable, unfortunately. But yes, Tommy Robinson, as we know, is back out of prison. Um, possibly for good, possibly for not. There's going to be a court case coming up soon where he might go back inside. But he finally, after kind of a hiatus, he did some press interviews in North America and then he disappeared off on holiday and he's done a video and he's released a video which is very, very interesting. He released it on the 7th of September called My Message to UKIP's NEC. And in it, it's essentially... Clickbait. Yeah, it's a very, very peculiar video where he started talking in the third person which is one to watch. So he starts talking about how he goes, Tommy Robinson is a symbol, he says in it, to the camera. So I'm not sure if this has all gone a bit to his head, this free Tommy Robinson martyr <laughs> stuff. But um, it's interesting in that he essentially, it was the day before the UKIP had an NEC meeting where they were going to make a decision on whether or not there could be a vote at the upcoming party conference on whether or not Tommy Robinson can join the party. Now, UKIP has got a long-standing policy that says EDL members are not allowed to join and BNP members are not allowed to join, um, which surprisingly hasn't stopped them being full of racists. But um, it has stopped former BNP and EDL members getting in. So it was a big decision that the NEC then took the day after Tommy released this video, uh, and they actually said that he... There will be a vote. They haven't said he can join. They said there will be a vote at the upcoming party conference and the members will be allowed to decide whether or not they will make an exception to allow him into the party. Any, is... any guesses on whether he will be allowed? Yes. Well, it's interesting, right? So in the last few months, UKIP has shifted quite dramatically right. Um, we've seen a number of high-profile far-right figures and kind of alt-right figures join. Um, we've seen Milo Yiannopoulos, the guy formerly of Breitbart in North America, has joined. Um, we have seen Paul Joseph Watson of Infowars also join. And then we've seen two people, Count Dankula 
and Sargon of Akkad. And I hate to add, those Wait, are both are adults. All, these they're, are all British people. They're all British people. And Sargon of Akkad and Count Dankula are both adults, despite their names. Uh, those are not their real names, though. Let's no, no, clarify. No, I, uh, to, uh, to your baby is, is baby a cat. No. Um, <laughs> um, so they've come into the party, and with them has come about two to 3,000 far-right people. Um, kind of alt-right types that are big supporters of them. So they won't allow EDL and BNP, but they will allow these people. I know, it's almost like they're not committed to being against racism, isn't it? Um, but uh, yes, so they've let these guys in. Um, despite some of these people have said really, really extreme stuff. We all know Miley Yiannopoulos has kind of a long history of saying pretty extreme stuff, and so does Paul Joseph uh, Watson. Very anti-women, very anti-Islam. Um so lots of it's been homophobic, etc. From some of these guys, I mean, just a lot of these people that are flooded into the movement are very unsavoury characters. Now, it's still worth adding that UKIP are still hugely down. They're in decline. I mean, UKIP has probably got about twenty-three thousand members at the moment. Back in two thousand and sixteen, it peaked up at forty thousand. So while two to three thousand people have joined in, we're still seeing a huge drop off. But the people that have joined are the sort of people that will love Tommy Robinson. Many of them. So this is a big moment for UKIP. Actually, if UKIP votes to make the, to break their own rules and allow him in. Um, it just reconfirms that UKIP's shift to the far, like an explicitly far-right party, will yeah. be undeniable for them. And they've been going this way for a little while. Those people that have, have followed the, the Tommy Robinson protests over the summer uh, will know that Jared Batten has spoken at several of um, his rallies uh, and has used those opportunities to both associate himself with uh, Lenin, but also to say some really inflammatory and viciously anti-Muslim thing so it, it kind of it fits with the pattern they've been going in my worry is that you know punters out in the country don't really track the that kind of thing closely and they all they know UKIP for is being the party that wants Britain to leave the EU and so you know I, I think there's a, a real concern over uh, Brexit negotiations unraveling Theresa May can't get her way uh, the, either the prospect of a no-deal Brexit or, or whatever it might be, that debate is going to push people who are really passionate about the EU towards UKIP, even though they might not necessarily be supportive of UKIP's uh, uh, new stances or, or more explicit stances on Islamophobia. So I think I think it's a real concern and something to watch. The other thing that I think is interesting, and I want to know what you think, Joe, is, Antsphere, is uh, Jared Batten has always said that he's not going to be a permanent leader of the party. I think he said he'd stepped down sometime in 2019 or early 2019. Do you think that Tommy wants to join UKIP so he can get a new platform? Do you think he wants to be the leader of UKIP? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good question. Yeah, Batten is standing down on the 13th of April next year, so there'll probably be elections. It's very specific. Yeah, well, this is what we look at this all day, don't we, I guess. <laughs> um, and so there will be membership elections, or leadership elections, sorry, very soon after that. So it's the first thing that popped into my head was exactly that. Is this is Tommy Robinson going to make a push for UK leadership? Now, does it really matter though? Yes, I mean it, he it, has a platform anyways. He's become this figure as he talks about himself in third person. He's become such a figure that in a way I wonder if becoming leader of UKIP is just not going to restrain his actions. Well, I see you can see it two ways, right? I mean, if part of the issue is uh, yes, he has a voice, he has a platform, he has this kind of international figure now where people can watch his videos. Um, but there is a difference between having a kind of disparate, say, movement of thousands of people watching a video and an organised block 
on the political spectrum to the right of the Conservatives that will have an ability to affect mainstream politics. So Tommy Robinson leading a resurgent UKIP uh, will have an effect on discussions and debates around Islam, immigration, etc. when it comes to these discussions on the political spectrum. So I think it is significant. And it will mainstream his opinions even more. It normalises opinions. But also, you know, I mean, we'll have to see what's happening with this Bannon stuff. He's coming to set the movement up in Europe. Um, he's talking to lots of these European popular radical right parties. And there isn't a sort of per- a party of any value in the UK for him to speak to. Um, but he is a big supporter of Tommy Robinson. So Tommy Robinson yeah. running UKIP in the UK with support of Bannon starts to become interesting. So um, it's definitely one to interesting watch. Interesting is one word for interesting it. Interesting is one word for it. There's no, there's no, obviously, there's no indication he's making a run for leadership as yet, but it is just one to look at. Yeah. You know? And I think, you know, the, the media are not, are not ready for that kind of uh, development. I think we've seen with Steve Bannon and the way that he's treated by the press um, in the UK um, with a with a level of respect that um, isn't warranted either by his track record or by um, his. What do you mean really by extreme, a level of respect? Um, the number of interviews he gets oh. and the uh, coverage that he receives when he he's got something to say is um, you know it's, it's sort of reminiscent of um, the the kind of airtime that Nick Griffin was getting for a, a short period um, back in the day um, where he was. He, People don't know how to challenge him, but also they're giving him the level of respect that traditionally has been warranted by being a former White House advisor. But we've never had former White House advisors who are also far-right strategists determined to um, stir up mm. racial division and, and, and so on yeah. and so forth. So, uh, you know, the, the rule book doesn't um, allow for... Um, the kind of challenges that, or, mm-hmm. you know, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. And I think that um, broadcasters in particular, but the, 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 the wider media are used to local elections that are coming up. We have to give a certain amount of time to UKIP. We have to give a certain amount of time to all of the other parties. W- what if UKIP is led by someone like Tommy Robinson or has Tommy Robinson as one of its, as one of its figureheads? How do they deal with that? Yeah, I think it's a real challenge. I don't have some specific recommendations, but like I think that's something that the media will need to will need think to think about. about. And the final thing to, I guess to say is we've got the U- the UKIP conference coming up, but um, there could well be a split in UKIP about this, right? We've already seen uh, Caroline Jones of the Welsh Assembly, a UKIP member, uh, assembly member, has has resigned about this sh- this shift to the right wing to the far right. Um, I think we'll see a number of members of the European Parliament with kind of UKIP block will will have to go or. or you know, high-profile figures. Is that a good thing? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's one topic. Again, yes, possibly. Of course, any split in these parties is going to be positive in some sense. But, that um, but means... also, Nigel Farage doesn't like Tommy Robinson, so it placates. It's going to stop him coming back into UKIP. So again, there's a positive there. So it's that conference is going to be one to watch because um, it could. If he if he does come back in, then it is. It does become easy to frame it as just an explicitly far-right party. Right. Conferences next week. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. Conference is on the 22nd of September, um, and that is a nice, easy pivot into uh, conference season coming up. We just had the TUC uh, conference, the traditional opener for um, for conference season, Labour Party coming up um, in, a, in a couple of weeks, and the, the Tories uh, will be gathering uh, too. Some other um, smaller parties have their conferences too. 
um, your choices vary, whatever that uh, phrase is. Um, but the TUC I thought was really interesting. I just wanted to um, flag a couple of, couple of things um, from that. Um, the first thing is to plug uh, our interview with Frances O'Grady, the General Secretary of the, the TUC. If you haven't listened to that, she is amazing. Like she, she's, she's so she's. I was so impressed. You enjoyed that interview, didn't you? I was so impressed by it. She's kind of so passionate, so articulate. Uh, this is exactly what the movement needs. You know? uh, yeah, she was really good. I, it was. I mean, I, I wouldn't have done it any differently, but uh, it was one of those interviews where at the end of each question you were like, that's spot on, <laughs> that's spot on, yeah. you're totally right. Yeah, it wasn't particularly... Oh, like, it wasn't particularly searching. No. <laughs> I mean, we, we wanted to give her a chance to um, talk about where she sees the trade union movement um, in this, you know, in, in the fight against the, the new emerging threats to the far right. And I thought that she was... Um, said some really really interesting things it's worth listening to the to the to the whole thing but I wanted to flag up a, a couple the first thing I thought was really interesting was um, her emphasis on um, education and training within the trade union movement and in her speech at congress she made a specific point about um, trade unions need to be humble um, about some of the challenging views that um, people have in the country this isn't um, an isolated small group of hardcore fascists there are um um, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who think that Islam isn't compatible with the British way of life, for example. And um, those are views that the trade union movement both needs to uh, learn how to challenge, but also um, how to talk to trade union members who have got um, um, some of those views. So I thought that the focus on both the trade union movement being humble about that and approaching it um, with some um, humility was, was spot on, but uh, also the need for uh, training and education. The TUC, she pointed out, trains 50,000 people each year on on different um, uh, aspects of, of, of trade union activism. And so there's a big opportunity um, uh, there as well. But the other thing I thought was really interesting was her focus on the economic offer that really chimes with a lot of the research that we've done and we'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks in the run-up to the Labour Party conference, which is that economic pessimism is the big driver of um, um, uh, people's uh, you know, anti-Islam or anti-immigration views, and that the trade union movement and the political um, establishment needs to get on with offering people um, economic hope and um, a pathway to uh, better jobs. The first pay rise in, in forever this last 10 years has been the um, lowest growth in living standards in a century. So it's no surprise that people are, are pretty pissed off about uh, what's going on. So I thought I thought that whole thing was, was really interesting. But as you say, Joe, she's just she's just on it. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Uh, and it was really interesting to talk to her about, there's obviously a huge amount of discussions in the anti-fascist movement, in the left, in the progressive movements more generally, about how we deal with this problem of the far right at the moment. And... Um, she clearly thought a huge amount about it. You know, she was very articulate on the, on the question, um, very reasoned. And like, whereas uh, some people will speak to, um, kind of understandably, are extremely angry and want to run away and do something straight away. She wanted to spend some time to think about what's the best way we, we're going to face up to this and what's the most effective way to deal with the issue. Um, so I think we've got a really great ally there. I agree. <laughs> um, the other thing that um, came out of TUC conference, and I think will be a big thing at Labour and the Conservative Party conference as well, is uh, the whole debate over Brexit. And the Tories are obviously in um, a bit of a mess. Uh, uh, That's all... a very British way of putting things. <laughs> it, it's not for <laughs> Labour, much better though. A bit they? of a tangle. <laughs> um, uh, and we'll see that at, 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 at Tory Party conference. But um, 
you know, the unions have moved. Um, uh, the GMB came out just before uh, TUC conference uh, to say that they thought there should be a, a public vote um, on the final deal so that people could have a say over how the final Brexit deal impacted on paying conditions and workers' rights and, and, and those other things that affect their members, which is a really uh, a big big shift for them. And the TUC left the door open to a second referendum um, in some circumstances. So I think the, the, the sort of the, the shift, there has been a shift amongst the unions and there is a shift ongoing amongst um, elements of the Labour Party. And I think there'll be a, there'll be a, a debate at Labour Party conference about the party's position, which has moved over the last six months um, and I think is continuing to move. Um, but it looks like there might be a debate on, on conference floor about, about that and with the leadership of the Labour Party the way it is at the moment, Labour Party conference is much more open to, you know, there, there's more opportunity at Labour Party conference to uh, uh, adjust the party's position than in the past, shall I say, <laughs> trying to be a bit gentle about that. Um, so I think I think that's a, a really interesting one one to watch. But it all feels, a lot of the Brexit stuff at the moment feels very, you know, above everybody's head. And I know from the research we've done, people just kind of can't quite believe that it's been such a mess it's been such a complicated process they thought it was like we'll hand back our membership card and get on with it but it's a lot more complicated than that and it the whole debate at the moment feels very much above um everyone's head i saw last night the european research group jacob reese mogg's crew um uh were openly discussing whether or not to remove theresa may as i saw that uh, conservative party i'm shock horror jacob reese mogg taking a kind of moderate and thought out position (laughs) <laughs> well, the weird thing is, like, I don't remember the ballot paper saying uh, that the, the you know the, the, a minority group within the minority governing party would get a veto over exactly how we leave the EU. It's just, uh, mm. I don't know, it's not, it doesn't seem to be a serious way to govern a country. Interesting. Um, are you off to the Labour Party conference? Are you off to the Conservative Party conference, anyone? Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to Conservative Party conference. I have been before. It was... Um, there's more champagne at Conservative Party Conference than the Labour Party Conference. Oh, I'll try Labor, and get that gig this year. Labour Party Conference is um, warm, warm wine is the uh, <laughs> is the beverage du jour. Uh, I'll be at Labour Party Conference. Several of others of us are going. Um, uh, we've got a fringe meeting on the Sunday, um, and um, yeah, we'll be around. We've got a stall. Oh, right, um, so yeah, buy some t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, definitely buy some <laughs> t-shirts. We've got some new mugs. <laughs> So the mugs are nice. The mugs are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah good yeah. stuff. Um, cool. So, Sophia, we want to talk about your new project. Yes, you introduced. So, e newsletter, as Matthew already mentioned, anti-Muslim hatred. Oh, he's had a bit bitter. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Well, I have been keeping quiet about this for a while, so you know, I'm excited to having it launch. Uh, it's going to be called Lamp, uh, sh- so we're shining a light on anti-Muslim hatred. It's a great name. Yeah, yeah. Joe is saying this because he half thought of it. <laughs> three, three quarters thought. Three of it. quarters. You plugged yeah. the lamp in. Yeah, it is a good name, and we're still working on the logo. But the first issue will come out on Friday, so today the, the podcast is being released on Friday. Um, and so this has been um, simmering uh, at Hope Not Hate for a while because we produce uh, many different elements of research that can be used against anti-Muslim hatred. Um, so this newsletter will be for people interested in the issue who want to receive 
all the latest research, all the latest analysis from Hope Not Hate, plus to keep um, track of everything else that's happening in the Islamophobia world. Um, if you look at the levels of hate crime uh, against Muslims in Europe and the UK, I think last year was there was a record number of anti-Muslim hate crime in the UK, specifically against women, mostly, uh, since they're visible. Um, and on the other hand, uh, Hope Not Hate commissioned a YouGov survey of 10,000 people in July. This is uh, data that's going to come out in the coming weeks. And just under a third of Britons believe that there are no-go zones in Britain where Sharia law dominates and non-Muslims can't enter. A it's third. Terrifying, so this is this is why we're doing something like this. We're hoping that the uh, our research in societal attitudes, the impact of laws, discrimination, organized anti-Muslim hatred will help people um, understand the the situation better because there's a lot of fake news and poor analysis going on at the same time, and perhaps help people make a decision, make more informed decisions. Mm. I'm really, I'm really excited about this. I mean, I remember. I mean, we've obviously been looking at Islamophobia for well, since since we started. 2012, you published but a big report. 2012 was the first Counter Jihad report, which was kind of the first landmark report into the organised anti-Muslim movement around the world, and it profiled hundreds of people all over the world. And we've been doing that, updating that every few years since then. I think the last one came out beginning of this year, actually, um, and it's all on, online under the Islamophobia Hub. And what's really exciting, I think, about the research that I hope not hate doing in this area is there's, lo of course, there's really wonderful research by great scholars and organisations around the world about Islamophobia, but we often focus on some of the areas that are under research, which is the organised movement, not just the kind of structural manifestations of Islamophobia, but the individuals and organisations that propagate it and push it. And then adding to that some of this really exciting polling that our colleague Rosie's been doing. Yeah, that um, will is, be released soon. That'll be released soon. And I think that's really going to put some meat on the bone about attitudes and things. And we put that on top of our existing Fear and Hope reports, mm -hmm. these big polls we do into identity and attitudes to immigration and race. Mm -hmm. um, we're kind of filling in a few, uh, some of the gaps and some of the holes that other organisations around the world aren't doing. And I think that's really, really important. So. And the news newsletter will also focus on things that we could be doing. So organisations that are having an effect on Islamophobia mm. and things that do work to a certain degree. Um, and will so it be... Um, also kind of like, I presume it will be also publicising other people's great research on Islamophobia. Yes, yes, Joe, you will be able to put your research in No, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean mine, I meant yeah, from other organisations. Of course, we will be, yeah. we're, it, it's, it aims to keep people up to date in everything that's happening. So reports that come out of other organisations that are combating Islamophobia will be mentioned, etc, etc. That's what I meant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, it's going to be published fortnightly, and um, if you're already signed up to the Hope Not Hate newsletter, you will get an alert. You will get uh, an email that allows you to sign up to it. Otherwise, we're going to have a sign up page on the hopenothate.org.uk, so you can go sign up there. Brilliant. Perfect. Perfectly done. Right, um, we have uh, a new feature. Uh, we're going to be taking questions from the. Um, uh, from the audience, uh, we've had the first one. Joe, do you want to? I don't. Well, I, I haven't got it now. So uh, <laughs> the question is, um, and we're, we're starting with a soft one, but do send uh, other ones if you if you feel we're being uh, people are being too nice to us. Um, if you were trapped on a deserted island with a British member of Parliament, who would you most and least like to be there with you? 
You st- I, see, I don't know enough MPs, so you start and I'll have a think. Yeah, I... The thing is, you have to think whether you want to live with someone you could have actual nice conversations with or you're doing for the greater good and you want to remove someone from the equation. Yeah, there's also, there's also if you're on a desert island, just the practicalities of surviving. Like, yeah, like Reese Mogg's going to be no use making Reece-Mog a fire. Reese Mogg is no <laughs> use. But being on a desert island in a, in a three-piece uh, suit and cravat is not... Is not but also, he's a bit of a knob, so I wouldn't want to hang yeah, out. Yeah, but I reckon it'd be quite interesting to chat to as you both starved. <laughs> but it's really interesting you're all thinking about the technicalities. I mean, let's assume it's a deserted island uh, that has all the resources needed, and let's assume it's right. for ten years or something, and you can go. If, and it's, see your if it's a deserted island in which I need practical help to literally survive, I'm mm-hmm. going to go with Rory Stewart, the Tory MP for. I think he's the Tory MP for the Borders. Okay. Um, because he used to be in the army and he's like trekked across Afghanistan on his own. So I'm going to yeah, say he's a practical help. If, yeah. if, if the desert island has like a pub and stuff like that, I'm going to go with Lisa Nandy. Because she's going to say Keith She's really good fun. Uh, least, least enjoyable uh, MPs to hang out with. Um, Boris Johnson? <clears throat> For the greater good, you'd have some stories. Boris Johnson for the greater good. Christopher Chope, the the upskirting guy, not literally upskirting. He was involved in the controversy over the oh, over the okay. law. Just to be absolutely clear, <laughs> uh, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't want to hang out with him. He seems like a, a bore. I reckon John Collis would be interesting. He's got he's got a PhD in philosophy. He's a nice guy. <laughs> That's he's, such a you answer. He's interesting. <laughs> like, he seems like quite a nice. And, and also, you've got a PhD, haven't you, Joe? I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> um, so I think he'd, I think he'd be all right. Um, any uh, any such, what, what about you, Sophia? Uh It has to be an MP that's alive right now. Unless you want to take a course with you to the island. <laughs> Not at all. But if it's any MP in the history of uh, okay now. Oh, I see. If bit. you had anyone, yeah, yeah. You'd take, yeah there's loads of people that'd be interesting. You'd go yeah. to Churchill or something. You answer you answer whoever you want to. Um. I think I'm going to go for the greater good and just take as many politicians as I can with me. The ones that, you know, need to stop making decisions. You want to name a few? No, let's, let's leave it at that. <laughs> leave let's that leave thing. it there. <laughs> uh, great. Okay, well, that's it for this week. Uh, two uh, requests. The first one is to please uh, share um, this podcast with your friends if you enjoy it. Um, don't mention it to them if you don't. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes. It, it apparently uh, really helps other people... Um, find the podcast and and subscribe um, themselves so we can um, reach more people and the the other thing is to um, if you haven't already please join the Hope Not Hate Action Fund it's a way of sustaining our work um, uh, over the long term if you go to hopenothate.org.uk slash action fund you can sign up to give a small amount of money each month uh, and it makes a huge difference um, to the amount of work that we can do We'll be back next week with a pre-Labour Party conference uh, special. We'll be hearing from our colleague Rosie on the polling research that she's been doing and the new report that she's bringing out. Uh, If you're at Labour Party conference, please come and say hello. Um, In the meantime, thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye.